Well, Wall Street, in fact, not just Wall Street, I would suggest maybe the entire world is still trying to recover from the Tuesday shocker. The stock market reacted violently to a slight uptick in inflation. And you don't see that very often, but everything sold off. And so then the question becomes, what does this mean for the Fed? How long do they raise interest rates? When do they stop? What are they trying to accomplish? One man who could address a lot of this aspect is uh, Rob Kaplan. Robert Kaplan was most recently the president and CEO of the Federal Reserve Bank of Dallas, but he, of course, was a longtime Goldman Sachs executive, former vice chair. He taught at Harvard Business School, and he's our guest right now. It's good to have you with us. Good to talk to you, David. So let, let me go back to Tuesday for just a second, because there, there are not many times that I've seen the lack of liquidity like that. You know, there are 500, a little over 500 stocks in the S&P 500. Five of them were up. None of the Dow stocks were up. None of the 11 sectors in the S&P 500 were up. Is that because of the news or is, is, is that because of lack of liquidity in the marketplace? Um, my own, my own uh, sense is uh, I, that the market was not so jarred by the thought that the Fed may have to raise the Fed funds rate higher than three and a half and maybe four, four and a quarter or something. I think what the market reacted to uh, even more than that is the sense that inflation is relatively broad based. It, yes, it is coming down. I believe the rate of increase is coming down, but it's relatively broad based so that the tightening may need to be uh, longer, uh, more prolonged than they might have thought, which means there's a greater probability there could be a recession, which means maybe the corporate earnings estimates are not, uh, may not be as strong as they expected. I think yesterday was more about worries about recession and corporate earnings deterioration than debating whether the Fed funds rate is going to need to be 50 or 75 basis points higher. And I think that's what you saw yesterday. There are, sometimes it seems like there's some, there's some confusion between a recession and a depression. I mean, we don't have depressions very often. We have recessions all the time. No, and you got to remember, this, this market overall had rallied, uh, had gotten over 4,000. I think the market uh, is finding ways to inch its way back to, you know, July 27th levels. And again, what the market doesn't know, and I don't know, uh, I, have a, I have a sense on where the Fed funds rate is going to ultimately need to get to. What I don't know is the impact of the balance sheet runoff. And you've heard me say before, that's more of a wild card than people think. But the other thing I don't know is for what length of time will the Fed funds rate need to be elevated in order to get inflation under control? And I'm not talking about getting it to 5%. Fed's target is 2%. Yeah. Um, and if, if that's longer than expected and the probability of recession is higher, that's the thing that, that if the market has to reduce the denominator, you know, the earnings estimate, that that's the thing that that is jarring people. And truth is, they don't know. We don't we don't know yet. We just don't know. Well, there's a lot we don't know. And partially, I mean, your colleague, your former colleague sitting around that table 
have a minefield to walk around. I mean, certainly there's this inflation which won't seem to go away and the odd employment situation where everybody's got a job. But then you've got these wild cards, uh, things that are going on in the energy market, Europe slipping into recession. Now, maybe they're going into a depression. And then, uh, you know, Ukraine and, and the uncertainty of what, what, what Russia does. I think the, 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 the fundamental issue, which is most challenging of all those issues, is the potential uh, for a continued wage price spiral. And what do I mean by that? P- people that make uh, $50,000 a year or less, which is 50 million families, it can't make ends meet right now. And their share of wallet for gasoline, food, God forbid, health care, and for rents is higher than for people who make more. And so they need to either get a raise or they need to change jobs. And the businesses that employ them, which are heavily in the service sector, will need to either raise prices or going to have margin erosion. But there are a, a lot of people, and I think the catch up in wages is not going to take a few months. The catch up could take a couple of three years. You know, I talk to everyone I talk to tells me at that income level cannot make ends meet. And by the way, it may take a series of wage increases and uh, the spiral comes from, well, if prices are higher, now, even though I got a wage increase, I still can't make ends meet because the prices are higher. And we're, we may be in the earlier stages than later stages of that spiral. And that's the thing that will need to be addressed and arrested. And the only one way to do it somewhat weaker uh, labor market, more balanced supply demand between uh, uh, labor, you know, employers and employees. Okay, well then let me show my naivete here. The other side of that is is to get cost down, get you know housing prices are moderating. There can be a housing crash, and they can certainly come down. We can see, yeah. you know, uh, commodities. I mean, commodities are commodities. If the, if the price is real high, everybody's going to drill for oil, or everybody's going to raise, you know, soybeans or whatever it is, and the price will come down. We can have some price compression, can't we? You could, but so let's take housing, which is tricky. So we know we were in a, a housing boom, and we know that when prices are elevated, it leads to higher rents. Okay, fine. So now the mortgage rate is in the neighborhood of 6%. Prices should weaken. But ironically, uh, it means there's more demand for rentals because people are not buying houses. And so um, the the rental part is the thing to watch. uh, And that may take a while for that to work itself out. And, And I guess the analogy I've given to people is we through 2021 most of the year and and after we got out of started to emerge from COVID, we were driving still at 100 miles an hour through fiscal and monetary policy normally what you want to do is earlier in 21 take your foot off the accelerator and not break but off the accelerator because we didn't do that now we're having to hit the brakes pretty hard and from anyone who's driven a car it's a lot more predictable what happens with the car when you're taking your foot off the accelerator than when you're slamming on the brake. So as you're putting together the notes that you, I'm sure you are now for your next book, because I know there'll be another one, and you look back over this period, because you had, you know, you had an insider's seat right through all this. With hindsight, what would you have done differently? I mean, on the one hand, we had this economy that was crashing, so the Fed had to hit us with a bunch of money, these bazookas. And- 
So the initial response to COVID, I think, was right on the money, and I agreed with it. Uh, we had to do, we had to do extraordinary things. The the issue I had at the time, this is in why I dissented in September 2020, and then we had debates all through 21. I'm a big believer in the quote-unquote balanced approach to monetary policy. What does that mean? It means as you're approaching full employment, you start to take your foot off the accelerator because you anticipate inflation. I think because inflation had been so long, low for so long, some people on the FOMC thought, man, whatever we do, it's not, it, it's not coming back. And I think the lesson is you want to always keep, in my view, a balanced approach to monetary policy. People talk about hawks and doves. For, balance is key, and it's a risk management job. And, um, and I think that's, that's the thing that we debated at the time, and I think it's the lesson in hindsight. It, it, you don't wait to remove accommodation until you've reached full employment. As you're approaching it, you've got to make adjustments because what we're learning right now is once you're in this kind of inflationary situation, which we haven't been in for 40 years, there's no great textbook uh, for, and you're taking, you know, there's going to be some damage, uh, either deep slowdown or other ways people can't make ends meet. You'll want to avoid it by being more balanced. So we, we've talked on and off for the last five or six years about the unique position that Texas occupies you know, nationally in the economy, and that we were relatively immune to all this and full employment and in-migration and and that sort of thing. But it seems like we're catching up to the rest of the country. Well, so this situation we're in, this challenge we're in now is not a challenge of the unemployed. It's a challenge of the employed. Texas always did a very good job versus the rest of the country in finding ways to keep people employed. This current crisis we're having is not an issue with the unemployed nationwide. It's an issue of those who are working and who are making, by the way, $20, $25 an hour, but they can't make ends meet. That's the current challenge. And so in that regard, Texas is not immune at all. People here making $20, $25 an hour are having the same trouble making ends meet as people in every other state in the country. And that's that's why this feels similar uh, among that group because a different kind of issue than one we always worried about. So, so let me wrap up this way. As I understand you, if, if you were on the Fed and as you're projecting, you can't really have a rigid game plan right now. It seems like there have right. to be a lot of accommodations because a lot of things are, are likely to change. You have to be adaptable. And the most important thing, and I've said this, you've heard me say this for a couple of years, data on the one hand is important. But it's just as important as data is talking to contacts, talking to businesses, talking to people making 50 grand a year, talking to head stock directors, high school superintendents. That's just as important in understanding what's going on. And if you don't do the latter, you will miss you will miss what's really going on in the economy. Sounds like we need some people who occupy the real world rather than just a bunch of academics that want to uh, project the future through what's happened in the past. Well, they're all trying hard to do this, but it, it, uh, that's the challenge is to do both. Rob Kaplan is the former president and CEO of the Federal Reserve Bank of Dallas. We always value his counsel, and thank you for the time, sir. Thanks, David. Thanks Good for more of our conversation. Go to krld.com slash CEO. I'm David Johnson, News Radio 1080 KRLD.